Proposition 3. The exteriority of the war machine is also attested to by epistemology, which intimates the existence and perpetuation of a nomad or minor science. There's a kind of science or treatment of science that seems very difficult to classify, the history of which is even difficult to follow. What we are referring to are not technologies in the usual sense of the term, but neither are they sciences in the royal or legal sense established by history. According to a recent book by Michel Sears, the trace of it can be found both in the atomic physics of Democritus and Lucretius, and the geometry of Archimedes. The characteristics of this kind of eccentric science would seem to be the following. One, first of all, it uses a hydraulic model rather than constituting a theory of solids that treats fluids as a special case. Ancient atomism is inseparable from flows. Flux is reality itself, or consistency. Two, the model in question is one of becoming and heterogeneity, as opposed to the stable, the eternal, the identical, the constant. It's a quote-unquote paradox to make becoming itself a model and no longer a secondary characteristic, a copy. In the Timaeus, Plato raises the possibility, but only in order to exclude it and conjure it away in the name of royal science. By contrast, in atomism, just such a model of heterogeneity and of passage or becoming in the heterogeneous is furnished by the famed declination of the atom. The Kleinerman, as the minimum angle, has meaning only between a straight line and a curve, the curve and its tangent, and constitutes the original curvature of the movement of the atom. The Kleinerman is the smallest angle by which an atom deviates from a straight path. It is a passage to the limit, an exhaustion, a paradoxical, exhaustive model. The same applies for Archimedean geometry, in which the straight line, defined as the shortest path between two points, is just a way of defining the length of a curve in a pre-differential calculus. 3. One is no longer... One no longer goes from the straight line to its parallels in a lamellar or laminar flow, but from a curvilinear declination to the formation of spirals and vortices on an inclined plane. The greatest slope for the smallest angle. From turba to turbo. In other words, from bands or packs of atoms to the great vortical organizations. The model is a vortical one. It operates in an open space throughout which thing flows are distributed. Rather than plotting out a closed space for linear and solid things, it is the difference between a smooth, vectorial, projective or topological space and a striated, metric space. In the first case, space is occupied without being counted, while in the second case, space is counted in order to be occupied. Four. Finally, the model is problematic. Instead of 
theoromatic. Figures are considered only from the point of view of the affections that befall them. Sections, ablations, adjunctions, projections. One does not proceed by specific differences from a genus to its species, nor by deduction from a stable essence to the properties deriving from it, but from a problem to the accidents that condition and resolve it. This involves all manner of deformations, transmutations, passages to the limit, operations in which each figure designates an event much more than an essence. The square no longer exists independently of a quadrature, the cube of a cubature, the straight line of a rectification. Whereas the theorem is of the rational order, de l'ordre de raison, pardon my French, the problem is affective and is inseparable from the metamorphoses, generations and creations within science itself. Despite what Gabriel Marcel may say, the problem is not an obstacle, it is a surpassing of the obstacle, a projection, in other words, a war machine. All that movement is what royal science is striving to limit when it reduces as much as possible the range of the problem element and subordinates it to the theorem element. This Archimedean science, or this conception of science, is bound up in an essential way with the war machine. The problemata are the war machine itself, and are inseparable from the inclined planes, passages to the limit, vortices and projections. It would seem that the war machine is projected into an abstract knowledge formally different from the one that doubles the state apparatus. Readers note the word formally here means formal in the sense of the opposite of casual, not formally as in prior. I'll read the sentence again. It would seem that the war machine is projected into an abstract knowledge formally different from the one that doubles the state apparatus. It would seem that the entire nomad science develops eccentrically, eccentrically, one that is very different from the royal or imperial sciences. Furthermore, this nomad science is constantly being barred, inhibited or banned by the demands and conditions of state science. Archimedes, vanquished by the Roman state, becomes a symbol. The fact is that the two kinds of science have different modes of formalization, and state science is constantly imposing its form of sovereignty on the inventions of nomad science. What state science retains of nomad science is only what it can appropriate. It turns what remains into a set of strictly limited formulas without any real scientific status, or else simply represses and bans it. It is as if the savant of nomad science were caught between a rock and a hard place, between the war machine that nourishes and inspires him, and the state that imposes upon him a rational order, order de raisons. The figure of the engineer, and particularly the military engineer, with all its ambivalence is illustrative of this situation. 
most significant are perhaps the borderline phenomena where nomad science exerts pressure on state science, and conversely where state science appropriates and transforms the elements of nomad science. This is true of the art of encampments and inclined planes. The state does not appropriate the dimension of the war machine without submitting it to civil and metric rules that strictly limit, control, localise nomad science, and without keeping it from having repercussions throughout the social field. In this respect, Vauban is like a repeat of Archimedes, and suffers an analogous defeat. It is true of descriptive and projective geometry, which royal science would like to turn into a mere practical dependency of analytical, so-called higher, geometry. Thus the ambiguous situation of Monge and Poncelet as savants. It is also true of differential calculus. For a long time, it had only parascientific status. It was labelled a Gothic hypothesis. Royal science only accorded it the value of a convenient convention, or a well-founded fiction. The great state mathematicians did their best to improve its status, but precisely on the condition that all the dynamic, nomadic notions such as becoming, heterogeneity, infinitesimal, passage to the limit, continuous variation, etc. be eliminated, and that civil, static, and ordinal rules be imposed upon it. Carnot's ambiguous position in this respect. Finally, it is true of the hydraulic model. For it is certain that the state itself needs a hydraulic science. There is no going back on Vogel's theses on the importance of large-scale waterworks for an empire. But it needs it in a very different form, because the state needs to subordinate hydraulic force to conduits, pipes, embankments which prevent turbulence, which constrain movement to go from one point to another, and space itself to be striated and measured which makes the fluid depend on the solid, and flows proceed by parallel laminar layers. The hydraulic model of nomad science and the war machine, on the other hand, consists in being distributed by turbulence across a smooth space, in producing a movement that holds space, and simultaneously affects all of its points, instead of being held in space by a local movement from one specified point to another, Democritus, Menachmus, Archimedes, Vauban, Desargues, Bernoulli, Monger, Carnot, Ponchelet, Perona, etc. In each case, a monograph would be necessary to take into account the special situation of these savants, whom state science used only after restraining or disciplining them, after repressing their social or political conceptions. The sea, as a smooth space, is a specific problem of the war machine. As Virilio shows, it is at sea that the problem of the fleet in being is posed. In other words, the task of occupying an open space with a vortical movement that can rise up at any point. In this respect, the recent studies on rhythm, on the origin of that notion, do not seem entirely convincing. For we are told that rhythm has nothing to do with the movement of waves, but that it designates form in general, and more specifically the form of a measured, cadenced movement. 
Rhythm and measure, however, are always distinct. And though the atomist democracist is one of the authors who speak of rhythm in the sense of form, it should not be forgotten that he does so under very precise conditions of fluctuation, and that the forms made by atoms constitute, first of all, large, non-metric aggregates. Smooth spaces, such as the air, the sea, or even the earth, magne res, There is indeed such a thing as measured, cadenced rhythm, relating to the coursing of a river between its banks, or to the form of a striated space. But there is also a rhythm without measure, which relates to the upswell of a flow, in other words, to the manner in which a fluid occupies a smooth space. This opposition, or rather this tension limit between the two kinds of science, nomad war machine science, and royal state science, reappears at different moments, on different levels. The work of Anne Querian enables us to identify two of these moments. One is the construction of Gothic cathedrals in the 12th century, the other the construction of bridges in the 18th and 19th centuries. Gothic architecture is indeed inseparable from a will to build churches longer and taller than the Romanesque churches. Even further, even higher. But this difference is not simply quantitative, it marks a qualitative change. The static relation, form-matter, tends to fade into the background in favour of a dynamic relation, material forces. It is the cutting of the stone that turns it into material capable of holding and coordinating forces of thrust, and of constructing even higher and longer vaults. The vault is no longer a form, but the line of continuous variation of the stones. It is as if Gothic conquered a smooth space, while Romanesque remained partially within a striated space, where the vault depends on the juxtaposition of parallel pillars. But stone cutting is inseparable from, on one hand, a plane of projection at ground level, which functions as a plane limit, and on the other hand a series of successive approximations, squaring, or variable shapings of voluminous stones. Of course, it was to the theorematic science of Euclid that one turned in order to find a foundation for the enterprise. Mathematical figures and equations were thought to be the intelligible form capable of organising surfaces and volumes. But, according to the legend, Bernard de Clairvaux quickly abandoned the effort as too, quote-unquote, difficult, appealing to the specificity of an operative Archimedean geometry, a projective and descriptive geome geometry, defined as a minor science, more a mythography than a mathiology. His journeyman, the monk mason Garin de Troyes, speaks of an operative logic of movement, enabling the initiate to trace, then hew the volumes in penetration in space, to make it so that the cutting line propels the equation, les traits pousser el chiffre. Again, I apologise for my lack of French. One does not represent, one engenders and traverses. And the science is characterised less by the absence of equations 
than by the very different role they play. Instead of being good forms, absolutely, which organise matter, they are quote-unquote generated as quote-unquote forces of thrust, poussées, by the material in a qualitative calculus of the optimum. This whole current of Archimedean geometry was taken to its highest expression, but was also brought to a temporary standstill by the remarkable 17th century mathematician, Desargues. Like most of his kind, Desargues wrote little. He nevertheless exerted a great influence through his actions, and left outlines, rough drafts and projects, all centred on problem events. Quote-unquote, lamentations. Quote-unquote, draft project for the cutting of stones. Quote-unquote, draft project for grappling with the events of the encounters of a cone and a plane. Desargues, however, was condemned by the Parlement of Paris, opposed by the King's secretary. His practices of perspective were banned. Royal or state science only tolerates and appropriates stone cutting by means of templates, the opposite of squaring, under conditions which restore the primacy of the fixed model of form, mathematical figures and measurement. Royal science only tolerates and appropriates perspective if it is static, subjected to a central black hole divesting it of its heuristic and ambulatory capacities. But the adventure, or event, of Desargues is the same as had already been produced among the Gothic journeymen on a collective level. For not only did the church, in its imperial form, feel the need to strictly control the movement of this nomad science, it entrusted the Templars with the responsibility of determining its locations and objects, governing the work sites and regulating construction. But the secular state, in its royal form, turned against the Templars themselves, banning the guilds for a number of reasons, at least one of which was the prohibition of this operative or minor geometry. Is Anne Quarian right to find yet another echo of the same story in the case of Bridges in the 18th century? Doubtless the conditions were very different, for the division of labour according to state norms was by then an accomplished fact. But the fact remains that in the government agency in charge of bridges and roadways, roadways were under a well-centralised administration, while bridges were still the object of active, dynamic and collective experimentation. Trudain, or organised, unusual, open, general assemblies in his home. Perronet took on his inspiration, uh, uh, took as his inspiration a supple model originating in the Orient. The bridge should not choke or obstruct the river. To the heaviness of the bridge, to the striated space of thick and regular piles, he opposed the thinning and discontinuity of the piles. Surbasement and vault, the lightness and continuous variation of the whole. But his attempt soon ran up against principled opposition. The state, in naming Peronet director of the school, followed a frequently used procedure that inhibited experimentation more than crowning its achievements. The whole history of the École des Pontes et Chaussées, 
That would be School of Bridges and Roadways. Imagine trying to read Deleuze and Guattari and not being able to speak French. Who would do such a thing? Okay. The whole history of the École des Ponts says illustrates how this old plebeian corps was subordinated to the École des Mines, the École des Travaux Publics, and the École Polytechnique, at the same time as its activities were increasingly normalised. We thus come to the, to the question, what is a collective body, or core? Undoubtedly, the great collective bodies of a state are, are differentiated and hierarchical organisms that on the one hand enjoy a monopoly over a power or function, on the other hand send out local representatives. They have a special relation to families because they interlink the family model and the state model and regard themselves as great families of functionaries, clerks, intendants or farmers. Yet it seems that in many of these collective bodies there is something else at work that does not fit into the schema. It is not just their obstinate defence of their privileges, it is also their attitude, even caricatural or seriously deformed, to constitute themselves as a war machine, following other models, other dynamism, a nomadic ambition over against the state. As an example, there is the very old problem of the lobby, a group with fluid contours whose position is very ambiguous in relation to the state it wishes to influence, and the war machine it wishes to promote, to whatever ends. A body, or core, is not reducible to an organism, any more than a esprit de corps is reducible to the soul of an organism. Spirit is not better, but it is volatile, whereas the soul is weighted, a centre of gravity. Must we invoke a military origin of the collective body and esprit de corps? Military is not the part that counts, but rather the distant nomadic origin. Ibn Khaldun defines the nomad war machine by families or lineages plus esprit de corps. The war machine entertains a relation to families that is very different from its relation to the state. The family, rather than a fundamental cell, is for the war machine a banned vector, such that a genealogy is transferred from one family to another according to the aptitude of a given family at a given time to realise the maximum of agnatic solidarity. Here it is not the public eminence of a family that determines its place in a state organism, but the reverse. It is the secret potential, puissance, or potency, virtue, for solidarity, and the corresponding genealogical mobility, which determine its eminence in a war body. This has to do neither with the monopoly of an organic power, pouvoir, nor with local representation, but is related to the potential, puissance, of a vortical body in a nomad space. Of course, the great bodies of a modern state can hardly be thought of as Arab tribes. What we wish to say, rather, is that collective bodies always have fringes or minorities that reconstitute equivalents of the war machine. In sometimes quite unforeseen forms. In specific assemblages, such as building bridges or cathedrals or rendering judgments or making music or instituting a science, a technology. 
A collective body of captains asserts its demands through the organisation of the officers and the organism of the superior officers. There are always periods when the state as organism has problems with its own collective bodies, when these bodies, claiming certain privileges, are forced in spite of themselves to open on to something that surpasses them. A short revolutionary instant, an experimental surge, a confused situation. Each time it occurs, it is necessary to analyse tendencies and poles, the nature of the movements. All of a sudden, it is as if the collective body of the notary publics were advancing like Arabs or Indians, then regrouping and reorganising. A comic opera, where you never know what is going to happen next. Even the cry, the police are with us, is sometimes heard. <laughs>